The report, by the way, is pretty comprehensive in the recommendation it tries to make. But the basis on which those recommendations are made, I would say they don't really hold the ground right now, to be honest. Because there's a lot of confusion between what excessive profit is. Now, you've got a lot of senior people out there saying, you know, IPP has made excessive profits. Well, is making profits a bad thing? Did they break any law in the process? Hello and welcome to Pakistanomy. My guest today is Amar Habib Khan, a risk professional and energy economist who has a deep understanding of Pakistan's power sector. We took a deep dive into the power industry report, discussed whether power producers have made excessive profits, and the reforms that are needed to make the power sector more efficient and competitive. Thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoyed this discussion. Amar, welcome to Pakistanomy. Thank you, Ozair. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start by, you know, setting the stage here. We're going to talk about Pakistan's power sector. I want to dive deep into um, the power sector report that just came out. That's been mm-hmm. the talk of town for the past few days. Um, but before we jump into that, just for the listener here, help them understand how Pakistan's power sector works and how are tariffs determined um, and what's the deal with all these contracts that are the talk of town today? I think before we dive deep into the power sector, we need to understand the context in which the power sector has evolved over the last, I would say, three decades. Now, Pakistan, as you know, is a high-risk jurisdiction. We have been in the middle of wars. We don't really have the best economic numbers out there. And more importantly, our external credit ratings have been consistently low. So when that happens, that does not give a lot of confidence to the investor. For the longest time, Pakistan has had a power deficit problem. Like we did not have enough power. So we used to have load shedding. It was fairly common for industries to not operate for 12 hours at at a stretch or for households to not have electricity for four hours. That just started from the early 90s and it continued till I would say 2016, 2017. So for about a good 20 years, Pakistan had a power deficit. Now, what do you do when you have a power deficit? Well, you try ramping up at that capacity. You try ramping up power capacity. But power plants are expensive. It's a very expensive, capital-intensive proposition. And you need the right technical skills. You need the right technical partner to execute a power project. And power plant is not just a button that you can just switch on and you can have power. Power plants have lead time, which can range from anything between two to four years. So all of that is important to understand before we really go into the report. Now, over the years, there was gradual additions to the pockets of power plants in the country. As per the 1994 policy, and then the one after that, and then in 2015. Now, the report says that those policies were very liberal in the sense of allowing guaranteed returns in the sense of allowing the excessive profits. Now, again, we need to understand the context here. In the mid-2000s, Pakistan was growing at a fairly good rate, but the external risks were gradually increasing. We, it was right after 9-11, Pakistan was gradually entering the war on terror, and con- investors were still not sold enough to do long I would say long tail investments in the country. Now, how do you attract investors 
to develop a power plant such that the same power plant can be run for another 30 years. You need a long-term commitment here. You go to the investor and say, what do you need here? Investor says, I need some kind of guarantee. I need some kind of guaranteed return so that I can come here. Now, domestically, you have a power deficit. You need that power to come online ASAP. So you go back to the drawing board and say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you a 15% guaranteed rate of return in dollars. The investor says, you know what, that's a good return to work with. They come to your country and establish a power plant. This happened in the 2006 policy, 2002 policy, and the same thing happened in 2015 policy, as well as the one early in 1994. So the investors came, we gave them guaranteed returns, and we pegged those returns in dollars. Now, this is where the whole issue gets really complicated. Why dollars? Again, if you're coming to Pakistan, if investors coming to Pakistan, they're like, you know what? We don't really trust PKR. We don't really trust the value of PKR. It may depreciate significantly. I would like my returns to be in dollars. And that is a condition. The government goes like, fine, you know what? We uh, have a deficit right now. Just start building. You'll get your return in dollars. And we guaranteed returns for 30 years in dollar terms. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That totally depends on the context that you're looking at. It's a good thing because we finally got power. We are power surplus now. It's a bad thing because it's a drain on our reserves. But we need to understand the opportunity cost of not having sufficient power. As per a number of studies conducted, not having power, not having enough power, having a power deficit resulted in the country losing GDP growth of around 1.5%. So if you just cover the power deficit, you can actually gain back that 1.5% that you were losing earlier. Now, in the broader scheme of things, it 1.5% of a $300 billion economy bigger or the capacity payments that you have to make. Again, that's a purely economic decision that one has to take there. So the equation goes, you know what? It makes economic sense to have power plants, even if they're expensive. So... You just go ahead with it. Same goes for Tharkol. Tharkol, in Tharkol, they gave guaranteed returns of 20% for power plants. On the face of it, it looks like that, that's a lot of money. But we need to understand Tharkol has a very high project risk associated with it. If someone wants to develop something in an area where the first coal seam or the first ton of coal has not even been extracted, you've got to give them the right set of incentives if you don't give them a set of incentives that well that's a sand and that's pretty much about it and nothing else there so this is why the government did what it did and right now we have surplus of power in the country now some commentators some analysts some people say surplus of power is a bad thing i would like to ask them why is surplus of power a bad thing that just gives you enough capacity to ramp up your industrial production that just give you more, gives you more room for growth if leveraged correctly. That's the whole story. Now, let me, I, in order to understand the sector, I think it's important to understand how the tariff is determined for the power sector. Let's see. So just before you do that on yeah. the tariff sector yeah. side, just yeah. let, me, let me summarize here really quickly. What you're saying is that mm -hmm. the investors that Pakistan was seeking to attract um, whether it was in the 90s or the early 2000s or the early parts of 
this decade or the last decade um, that they looked at the risk profile of Pakistan and they made a determination saying, wait, if you want our capital, if you want us to invest money in your country, there's a certain rate of return you need to provide or we will go somewhere else. And the government of Pakistan and the policymakers at several points in time sat down and said, well, you know, we need the power. Uh, we need that investment to come into our country. And this as a whole at that point in time is a deal worth signing for. So there was no there is no corruption here. There is no uh, evidence of uh, people making uh, making a lot of money just because the returns were higher. It was a contract signed between the sovereign state and investors, private investors uh, in this instance, who said, here's a deal to be made and you come in and you set up the power plants and we'll pay you a certain amount of money. That is correct. And in some cases, the sovereign even provided a sovereign guarantee. So, you know, the sovereign was okay. actually guaranteeing a certain payout. Sovereign was actually guaranteeing certain conditions. Now, that's a big thing to have a sovereign guarantee. It's only because of this condition, only because of this certain security that investors stepped in. Because we need to understand a power project, a power plant is a very long tail investment. It's 30 years. If we just put in money somewhere and it somehow doesn't work out in a high-risk jurisdiction, your equity, your capital, that's basically poof, it's not there anymore. So investors want that safeguard and you can blame them for wanting safeguards. Uh, let's, in finance, in finance 101, there's a very basic concept of cost of capital. Now, some people say, hey, this 15% IRR is very high. Well, at that point in time, when these were determined, they just made sense. How? In around 2006, 2007, the risk-free rate for the U.S. Treasury bond, let's say for 10 years, was around 45 to 5%. Okay. Now, any equity analyst or anyone who knows basic finance would know that you need some kind of an equity premium as well. The average equity premium uses around 5.5% or 5%. Let's say we use 5%. So 5% was a yield on your treasury bond, 5% equity premium. Now, this is the minimum, 10% is the minimum, and then you multiply that by beta, if uh, you have the concept of that. So let's say the beta is 1.1. So roughly, you get somewhere around your cost of capital is 11%. Now, if there is an international investor, if there's any investor in an efficient market, he just goes out with his and wants to buy equity, his required rate of return is at least 11%. Now, that investor comes to Pakistan. You've got to add a certain risk for Pakistan as well here. The sovereign, uh, and for that, most investors use the proxy, which we know as the credit default swap. Now, some yep. listeners might know about it, but some might not, but that's a separate discussion. So at that point in time, credit default swap spread for Pakistan was around 500 basis points or 5%. So essentially, if you add... 5% to that 11%, we're in the range of 15 to 16%. And that is precisely the guaranteed return that was promised by yeah. the and, government. And so just to be clear, I, we don't have to explain a credit default swap, but yeah. essentially that takes into account all sorts of risks that are related to providing credit or financial instruments in a particular market, whether it be yeah. default risk of the sovereign or other issues. Am I correct in summarizing it that exactly. way? Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that is correct. Now, in, in good times, when times are good, when you think Pakistan's economy is doing really well, our credit default swap spreads have been as low as 
150 bips or 1.5 percent and in times and after 2008 in 08-09 the spreads were as high as if I'm not mistaken 2000 bips or 20 percent so it totally mm-hmm. depends on how much risk your economy has or how but much what you're saying is that at, at at this point in time the period that you're referring to 15 to 16 percent guaranteed rate of return was essentially what the market was offering and that was the efficient market offering you that that instrument exactly. added up everything together even even right now our credit default swap spread is around 550 to 600 bips or six percent so even if you go right now if someone investor wants to come to pakistan they would want at least 12 to 13 percent of guaranteed returns in dollar term even not guaranteed the required rate of return would be around 12 to 13 percent in dollar terms so if they're going for a long-term project so again if I'm an investor, these are the things I'm going to look at. If I'm not going to get that required rate of return, I'll just move to another jurisdiction. There are 180 countries, 180 plus countries in the world. Uh, it's, it's a free market out mm-hmm. there, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this is... So now let's we... move on to the tariff side. Let, let's yeah. move on to the tariff side and talk through uh, okay. how does this system work in Pakistan? Because I know it's a very complicated one and I'm sure people will be curious to understand from you and how this thing actually functions today so it's not really that complicated but due to a lot of noise around it has become a lot complicated i would say it's one of the most transparent uh, sectors in the country because each and every tariff all documentation of it is available is a public document and is available on nepra's website so if you think there is something wrong with some power plant, some power projects, some tariff issue, you can just go to the website and actually check out its documentation. So it's, I would say it's one of the more transparent sectors in the country. Now, let's see. The tariff of power plants in the country are on a cost plus mechanism. Now, what does cost plus mean? Cost plus basically means, hey, you're setting up a power project, you will have some capital cost. Let's say you're going to spend about a billion dollars. I'm just giving ballpark numbers here. Billion dollars to develop a power project. That is your capital cost. And then you're going to have a running cost, which is known as the operating cost. So you say, okay, you know what? Let's say if it's a gas-fired power plant, your fuel essentially will be gas. So there will be a, a fuel cost or I would say an input cost. And that will be your variable cost. Because the more gas you use, the more power you produce and so on. So you've got a variable operating and maintenance cost, which is largely your fuel cost. And then you have another component known as fixed operating and maintenance cost, which is basically power plant maintenance, staff cost, so on and so forth. The things that are fixed costs for running a power plant. So these are two kinds of operating costs. And then the government says, hey, listen, you are setting up a power plant. And you also have a guaranteed return of 15%. You cannot put more than 25% equity in this power project. Because if I'm a smart investor, I'm going to be like, hey, listen, I'm going to put in 100% as equity in this so that I can get 15% guaranteed return on full equity. The government of Pakistan being smart said, listen, you can do that. You can only put equity up to 25%. The remaining mm. 75% is going to be debt. So you go to the bank, you go to your lenders and say, hey, I'm setting up a power plant in Pakistan. I'm willing to put an equity. Will you lend money to me? 
the bank will be like why should we lend money to you it's a long tailed project what guarantee you have the power plant is going to operate and then you go to the bank and say hey you know what the government has guaranteed that they are going to buy power from me now if that guarantee is not there if the government says listen we're not going to buy power no one is going to give you debt for a power project anyway and this is where, again we need to understand we are in the mid 2000s or we are in the mid 90s a condition isn't really that good and banks are scared mm. to lend to, to uh, for such long tail projects so banks is okay that is fine the government is says it's going to purchase your output all right i'm going to sign up on debt and if you putting up a billion dollars 750 million dollars that it will be debt which will be provided by a bank or a consortium of banks and 25% mm. will be your equity so we have a variable operating cost which is basically a fuel we have a fixed operating cost which is basically maintenance asset replacement and so on and then you have a debt component because the project took debt and the project is going to pay off that debt as well so there are three components to to the tariff now variable operating cost fixed operating cost and debt now debt can be further segregated into principal repayments and interest repayments hmm. because principal there are certain you say okay, you know what over the next 10 years i'm going to pay this principal back and with every principal payment there will be an interest component as well and that interest component is essentially linked to the prevailing interest rate in the economy so if my kibor increases my interest rate payments are also going to increase the power producer does not have control over that and if my interest rate decreases when kibor just to be clear kibor just to be clear is the benchmark interest rate in pakistan that's used yes, for yes that is correct that's yes that's basically karachi interbank offer rate it's the benchmark interest rate at which banks lend to one another which like the libor and that we have there or the mm. uribor all right so so you've got principal component and you've got an interest com- interest rate component so you've got four components here and then you're going to say listen what about my guaranteed equity i wanted to put in some money the government says you know what fine we're going to guarantee a return on your equity investment so that's another component of your tariff so we've got five component now components now variable cost fixed variable operating costs fixed operating costs principal repayments interest repayments and your roe there's slight complication roe as well i'm just going to come that come to that in a bit now everything's done you've done your financial flows the bank says good news over there we we're putting up a power plant here your equity holders are happy as well so you start working on a power plant and that will take about 3 years because power plant is a big project so what do you do in 3 years because you've taken a loan today and you will have to pay interest on that right because the interest payments start from day 1 so in that mm-hmm. thing there's a thing known as interest during construction now this is a very important concept you're not making any interest payments right now let's say you took a billion do- uh, 750 million dollars of debt and the rate on that was let's say 5% so roughly 37 million dollars is your interest cost every year which is then added to your project cost so for over for 3 years you get 37 into 3 which is about i would say 100 million dollars 
100 million dollars that's the interest during construction which is added to your power cost project cost which eventually inflates your project cost mm-hmm. so a lot of times you will see even in the report they made this mistake where they compared an epc cost of a project with project cost now epc cost is basically the equipment procurement and construction cost now this is the cost that is required to set up a power plant but then there are financing costs as well there are insurance costs as well there are guarantee costs so if you add all of them together the project cost is about 20 to 25% higher than your epc cost so you get a project cost and on the basis of the project cost these five tariff components which i discussed earlier are estimated for a period of 30 years all right this is happening when at the project inception stage 3 years down the road 36 months down the road the project closes you hit cod that's commercial operations date and you send out the first unit of electricity through the grid well you have started operations here what's going to happen now you're going to go back to uh, back to the regulator and tell them ke hey, listen i've started working i've started operating what do i do now they will say listen let's look at your tariff right now and see what are the market variables are so nepra is going to adjust your tariff for pkr usd parity the interest rates local interest rates foreign interest rates and even inflation so at that point in time let's mm-hmm. say pkr depreciates your tariff in pkr terms is automatically going to increase or if interest rates let's say when you borrow when you started your project interest kaibor was at 6% but 3 years down the road kaibor is at 15% i mean that's not your call right you cannot control kaibor mm-hmm. and you have to hedge against that risk so nepra steps in and says you know what this was all possible so this will the increase in interest rate will be embedded in the tariff so the final tariff comes now this tariff is adjusted on a quarterly basis depending on whatever the market movements are or the market variables are all of these tariffs once again i'm going to say all of these tariff petitions the determination these are all public documents so no one can say hmm. okay, you know what this is just some opaque mechanism that's happening before every power project there are hearings which the public attend the various stakeholders attend and then after every quarter whenever a petition happens you can just go on the website and view it even right now you can just look at any project you want and just just view that petition and figure out why the tariff for a particular project increased now this is i hope i was able to explain how the tariffs work here no i was going to say this was very comprehensive uh-huh. in a short uh-huh. period of time and i wish some Uh, some of the listeners probably will be wishing including myself that some of our project finance or economics or finance professors were as clear and concise as you were because this was a marathon finance session in about 10 minutes time so uh, yeah i think it's very clear how the system works now okay and j- just to add one more thing because this will be uh, the base for our future discussions the guaranteed return that the government promises it's basically known as the internal rate of return irr and that is on the project cash flows so the government says you let's say okay, the project tariff is right now 10 cents in 10 cents about 3 cents would be the cost for fuel another 3 cents would be the your fixed cost 
two and a half cents for principal payments, one cent for ROE, ROE, and so on. So this is how the government looks at it. Okay, hey, we're going to give you 10 cents per unit translated into whatever PKR is, and then you split it out. So IRR or the tariff is determined on project cash flows. Now, when those project cash flows are converted into a standardized income statement, it all just messes up. Why? Because in a project cash flows, you have principal repayments. That's, it's a very big chunk. But that chunk mm. is not reflected in your income statement. So in the report on power sector, there are at least 45 different references on excessive profits being made. And because they're only looking at the accounting statement here, they're not adjusting for principal repayments that have been made. So I think mm. this is a very important point, which even the authors talk about when they say they are adjusting for principal repayments, but that's only in the background. It's more of a footnote. The real meat, the real story is about excessive profits in inverted quotations right now. But uh, Amar, let me, let me pause pause you here that to me is a pretty crazy thing to occur in a report like this which is supposed to be so comprehensive and supposed to cover this sector because if the authors of the report don't take into account the basic thing that you're explaining here which is that the income statement should uh, does not take into account debt repayments and that those debt repayments actually need to be taken into account before a determination is made on excessive profits um, then isn't this whole exercise futile because the authors of the report basically ignored something so critical to determining what's going on in the power sector? I wouldn't say the exercise is futile. The report, by the way, is pretty comprehensive in the recommendation it tries to make. But the basis on which those recommendations are made, I would say they don't really hold the ground right now, to be honest. Because there's a lot of confusion between what excessive profit is. Now, you've got a lot of senior people out there saying, you know, IPPs made excessive profits. Well, is making profits a bad thing? Did they break any law in the process? Well, it's, 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 not, just, I, it's not just experts saying that. The president of Pakistan was on a show on Geo News. Hamid Mir was the host and interviewing him. And the president of Pakistan said, and I'm quoting him here, that he told the prime minister that if the if the points made in this report are true, then he believes that the country has been gang raped by by uh, by by these industrialists or by these people of these power pro who own these power projects. So the president of Pakistan is making quite a serious allegation here. Uh, I can't really respond to that, to be honest. But uh, I guess some some explanation is required on how cash flow is different from an income statement. To be honest, if once. Everyone understands that a lot of things are clarified. That's a pretty harsh statement to make. I would say that here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. And I think that's that for me was when my ears perked up and I was like, if the president of the country is making such a strong statement of this report, um, then surely the contents of that report must be looked at. And what you're saying is that this whole excessive profit uh, in quotation marks argument being made in this report is missing some key fundamental components that it should have looked at before making those uh, allegations, so to speak. Exactly. But carry on. So what else is there in, in this report you know what? that, if, if, that if, struck you? If I were an investor, I would love to have a 15% guaranteed dollar return. Why not? You know, you would love the same. 
so again but that was something transparent that was something written that was something signed between a sovereign and a private party so again if excessive profits are being made then maybe the sovereign is party to that as well never mind let's just move forward now all right so one of the contentions of the report was that initially the return was supposed to be guaranteed in pkr but suddenly it was was guaranteed in dollars and our initial discussion that, that that was actually a very fundamental i would say a flaw in the report because a 15% dollar return is fine considering the context and background of the economy at that point in time hmm. you just can't just say okay, you know it was excessive no it was not excessive when 10 year us bond spread uh, has a yield of 4.5 to 5% when the equity premium is about 5% when the your country is about b minus or tri- or triple c rated you don't get to say these kind of things okay you know we just want a lower return hmm. and then they just go and uh, interestingly they just compare two projects here they in another instance they compared uh, there's this project known as jamshore of power and then they compared another project hsr now these are two completely they're coal fired projects but the financing structure is completely different Jamshoro sure Power hmm. was funded by the Asian Development Bank. It had multilateral debt in it. So, as you would know, as anyone would know, multilateral debt is generally as like fairly concessional terms. Meanwhile, yeah. HSR's Shandong Rui Coal Power Project ha- had all of it was purely commercial funding. You had commercial banks backing backing that project. You had to pay a sinusure guarantee. to push that for a project through so you just can't really compare a project which was being funded by a multilateral to a project which is being funded on purely commercial terms so again if you're making comparisons might as well make an apple to apple comparison rather than apple to guava comparison here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, another thing that i would like to point out here is that most of these returns were uh the excessive profits that the report talks about it just considers a base to be the first year that the project operated in now we need to understand if someone put 5 let's say 5 million dollars of equity in a project in 2002 at that point in time the pkr usd parity was around 60 so that would be around what i would say that would be around 300 million rupees and then yeah. 300 million rupees and then in the report they say oh you know what they just put in 300 million rupees at equity capital and right now they have accumulated profits by 15 times or 10 times again you just only looking at the initial phase what about all the money that was reinvested in it you need to understand since 2002 uh, till right now the dollar has gone from 6 the pkr has gone from rupees 60 against a dollar to about 160 against a dollar that's an increase of more than 2.5 times or 150% if you you compound that that's even more maybe around 180 to 200% so you need to yeah. factor that compounding in as well you just can't go and say okay oh you know what they just made so much money they're robber barons fine you know they may be robber barons out there but you agreed to these terms and you agreed to these terms at a time when pakistan needed power the most It's like saying you know you mm-hmm. someone invested three hundred million right now, 
20 years later, you tell them, hey, listen, you invested 300 million 20 years back. Right now, you're making 600 million in, in a year. That's just theft. That's just robbery. No, it's not. That business has been operating for the last 20 years. It has been reinvesting money. It has been gaining efficiency. It has been paying dividends, so on and so forth. So you simply cannot com- compare base of 20 years back to what the business is earning right now. I think that is another fundamental flaw. The pure concept of base. What exactly is a base and how should we treat it? And more importantly... Yeah, which also, just to interrupt again, you uh, interrupt you here again, that again, that basic law of compounding and understanding movements in the exchange rate is finance 101. So it should be one would expect something like that would have been taken into account when making determinations over long periods of time. That is correct. And so, you know, dollar changes, PKR, USD parity changes, inflation changes. Now, over the last, uh, let's say, since 2002 till right now, I would say on a compounding basis, we've had more than 100% of inflation. So someone's got to factor that as well. 100 rupee in 2002 mm-hmm. is not, is maybe 70 or 60 or 50 rupees right now. I don't have the exact numbers, but we know that there has been significant inflation over the years and the value of PKR has dropped. So you just can't really make random comparisons by changing basis by changing goalposts that's the whole point is we want to make a comparison how much gains the they have made let's since the return is guaranteed in dollar terms let's just peg everything to the dollar and see what gains they have made i think that's a fair comparison yeah that's what i was going to ask you that that would have been a fair comparison if you just do every calculation in dollar terms because that's the entire base of the model that was used to build these power plants in the first place yeah what else what else stood out to you before we move on to i have a couple other questions on the power sector but anything else in particular that when you read this power report that stood out to you that perhaps needs to be looked at uh, again i think this whole uh, concept of excess profits that's a bit flawed. Hmm. You, know, you just assign a PKR value to it. Now, there can be multiple ways to assign that PKR value. And multiple ways can be correct as well. So when we are looking, making such serious statements, when we're quoting billions of, of rupees, we need to be more careful with the methodology that is used. And in this case, I would say the methodology that is being used for Attribution of excessive profits is a bit flawed. Another thing I would like to point out in the report is uh, they have very correctly identified the mismatch in IRR payments and mismatch in debt payments. Now, what they say is that the tariff is determined on a quarterly basis, but payments are done on a monthly basis. So maybe we should reconcile that. And that's a fair ask. You know, There needs to be more transparency on that. And I think that is something the... IPPs should totally agree with that whatever the indexing is, whatever the interest rate for a specific month is, only that payment is going to be made rather than the IPPs playing arbitrage. Similarly, they made another point about the IPPs not being, not complying with contractual requirements of holding X tons of inventory, but charging NEPRA for that inventory. Again, that is very important as well. So whatever contractual violations are there, they need to be looked into, they need to be sorted, the IPP should be taken to task. But that 
is something which is relevant that is something which is reasonable that is something which has contractual basis attribution of excess mm-hmm. profits assigning random pkr values and uh, just uh, making a hypothesis that a 15% dollar return was way too high and should have been low well we need to understand the context here as well so i think what's missing in the report is the context of this power policies what was happening in 92 or what was happening in 2002 or what was happening in 2015 what was our power position what would the policy makers right now do at that point in time when you have a 6000 megawatt power deficit do we just go and say oh, no you know what uh, this is yeah. too expensive we can't do it let there be load sharing well then so be it you know you just take an economic decision and that has costs yeah I want to zoom out a bit now uh, from the report yeah. and, you know, touch upon you. You explained how tariffs are determined and they're determined in a very transparent manner. One of the things that, you know, keeps coming up in mainstream discourse and uh, if you, if people follow the mainstream discourse, they get confused around, in my opinion, at least. And I was curious uh, if you could explain on this a bit, was this issue around capacity payments and circular debt and the fact that it keeps piling up um, and whether... Um, there is a way to renegotiate some of these contracts to make sure that doesn't happen. And I was just curious from your perspective about, A, if you could quickly explain um, how does circular debt mount in Pakistan's power sector? Um, and B, what uh, are the ways in which that uh, issue can be solved uh, moving forward, given that this is a major uh, burden on the exchequer that keeps piling up year on year? Okay, let's start with capacity payments. Now, I should have explained this earlier. Now, what are capacity payments? Now, as I explained earlier, there are like five components of a tariff. One is variable. The other are largely fixed. Those are capacity payments. So you take out the fuel cost and we say there's now enough power in the country. And when power is purchased, it is done in a pecking order. The cheapest power is purchased first, so on and so forth. Till the time we reach our capacity and there are a lot of power plants right now who are not selling any power. Now, as per contractual terms, they still have some fixed costs that they have to maintain. They still have some debt that they have to repay. They still have interest payments Mm -hmm. that they have to make. And more importantly, there are ROE payments that they have to make. All of this is capacity payments. Now, the... Underlying hypothesis when the power projects were being set up in 2015, when we had a deficit of about 5,000, 6,000 megawatts, was that once the power projects are in place, we will be able to graduate from growth rates of around 3.5 to 4.5% to 6 to 7%. Now, when you start growing at 6% plus, suddenly all of this capacity surplus is going to vanish. That was underlying hypothesis, but... A number of things happened, political changes happened, we had a current deficit issue, so on and so forth, and we were just not able to do that. We grew at 3.2% last year, we might even contract right now. So capacity payments are an issue, they're definitely an issue. How do we resolve it? Again, that can only be done when you go back to the drawing board with the IPPs, not with the hypothesis that, hey, you have been making so much money right now. You know, we're not going to give you any more money. Well, the hypothesis is, listen, we can't pay you anything right now. Let's just renegotiate this. Let's just work something out. 
interest rates are going down right now. Interest rates in Pakistan, interest rates globally are going down right now. So the interest rate repayments, they are going to reduce. Fuel cost will also mm-hmm. reduce. So whatever variable cost component was there, that's also going to reduce. So suddenly you can see a number of tariffs to be revised down. But that still won't be enough. What can the government do now? One thing they can do, and I think that can be a major game changer, is that they fix the PKR-USD parity. Let's say they say, you know what, we're going to fix the PKR-USD parity at whatever it was on 31st December 2019. And it is only at that rate you're going to get your ROE. Yes, there may be some who may not agree and there may be some who may agree, but that totally depends on the government, whether they're able to execute it or not. Because capacity payments will remain an issue as long as our currency continues to depreciate like it has been doing for the last two decades now. So if you want to resolve this issue once and for all, the one solution here is to pick, pick the exchange rate at a certain level and fix payments on that. That is going to resolve quite a number of issues here. But will the government be successful? Will the IPPs agree? Again, that's a decision that the government, discussion between the government and the IPPs here. But from purely economic terms, I think it makes both sense for, uh, it makes sense for both of these parties to agree to a certain level and then just move on with it. I'm I'm thinking out loud here on the parity thing that that you mentioned because that's an interesting proposition. I'm I'm thinking of as a private investor who may on the flip side argue that look, I have debt payments to make. I have um maybe dollar denominated debt or money that needs to flow out and if you keep my payments at parity which was last year, let's say, um your currency continues to depreciate year on year and again going back to your point, the power plant is a long tail investment 30 years, 25 years at a time. So how do you, if you were advising the government, let's say the government is like, that's what we want to do. How do you get around that problem? Because part of the pushback from the other side will be that, look, if you, if your currency continues to depreciate, I'm in no way capable of accepting a parity of a currency for last year, because you're going to depreciate five, seven, eight percent year on year on average. Um, And that puts me as a, as an investor in a really tough position. So, so that depends on a case to case basis. Obviously, if we say, you know, we're fixing uh, PKR for debt repayments, that's basically a lose-lose position for everyone because the power plant is going to default on its payments. When it's going to default, the power plant is not going to operate. Like, no one wins in this. And there will be, like, litigations all over the place. So what you can do with principal repayments is you can just go back to the lender and ask them to, you know what, let's defer the principal repayments for a few years. Defer them for two years. Defer them for 18 months. Because principal repayments are a significant component of a tariff. That just gives you more breathing room. Mm. You come to the ROE component and you say, listen, you know what? You've made X percent over the years. And we, in order for the project to operate, in order for the project to continue, for it to be feasible, you need to reduce this rate or you need to peg it to a certain level. Because if you don't, we won't be in a position to pay you anyway. So for the investor at that mm-hmm. point in time, you're like, you know what? I've made an investment of $100 here. I've recovered about $60. I can either recover full $100 and some more. Or maybe these guys just don't pay me right now and I'm just stuck at $60. That's the dis- 
the calculus which is in investor's mind. This is what Argentina does basically every few years. This is what Lebanon is doing. This is what a number of countries over the next few months will be doing. So I just feel this is a pretty good time to renegotiate these contracts. Because as an investor, you would want to recoup your investment as well. Fine. You may not get a guaranteed 15% return in dollar terms for the next 30 years. You may still get something like 12% or 11% or even 10%. That's still better than getting into litigation and getting nothing out of it. Yeah, and I, I agree with you that that would be a global conversation, right? Where yeah, either you negotiate and come down in, in your asking and both sides show some flexibility and compromise or a lack of a compromise will basically mean projects will go under, investments will go under, people will default and there will be a domino effect, right? So I, I agree with you there that this is the time to sit down at the table. But at the same time, one would hope and expect that whatever negotiation team the government of Pakistan puts together that that includes capable people who understand the dynamics of the sector, understand financial markets and are able to, you know, get the best negotiated settlement out of this on a case by case basis, because this is a very complicated subject. So um, I think that's, that's an important point uh, to consider as well. Um, one of the things um, I had former finance minister Miftai smile on, um, last week. And one of the things we spent a considerable amount of time talking about was the rapid increase in tariffs uh, on the energy side that happened uh, during the early months of the PTI government and then because of the IMF program. Um, and his view was that, look, what they should have done with the IMF was um, negotiated uh, uh, an issue around the flow of circular debt and its pace of increase and said that, look, we will bring this pace down and, and slowly start ending the circular debt. Um, instead, his critique was that what they did was agree to a rapid series of tariff increases, which, by the way, hurt um, everything else, uh, not only on the economic front by boosting inflation, but on the energy sector side by reducing the incentive on the uh, on the distribution company side and the sector side uh, to reduce inefficiencies. Um, and obviously, he's a partisan and is a politician. So his critique, we had a back and forth, but his critique to me made sense. And I was just curious from your perspective, how did you see the uh, that point that I'm paraphrasing what uh, Dr. Mitha Ismail said, but what's your perspective on tariff increases and overall inefficiencies uh, in the power sector and how the Rate, what the rate of increase in tariffs was in the last few months. Uh, Uzair, when we started a conversation, I said the opportunity cost of not having power is much higher than the cost right now. The power consumption is elastic. We thought it was inelastic, mildly inelastic, but it is elastic. So when there's an industry out there and that industry is paying 20 rupees or 22 rupees per unit or whatever the amount they're paying. Right now, they may be uncompetitive compared to the peers in Vietnam, India, Bangladesh, all of these places. So they're not competitive in the world out there. So when you increase the tariffs, these industries automatically became uncompetitive. So that is a problem. Fine, you you increase the tariff. Again, you know what? It's not a financial decision. What we look at right now, we, we look at uh, in dollar terms or in PKR terms. You increase tariff by this rupees and suddenly the fiscal deficit is going to vanish. 
you know what fine the fiscal deficit is going to reduce something is going to reduce but the negative economic impact of that the economic externalities of that would be much higher the cost of those would be much higher than the dollar amount that you just saved through tariff increases you need to understand the capacity of the payment capacity of the local electricity buyer in this country whether it be domestic or whether it be an industrial buyer at 22 rupees at 23 rupees it just simply does not make sense to buy electricity right now my, i should might as well start my own captive generation and get cheaper electricity so what you're doing right now is incentivizing excess investment in an area for which you already have surplus capacity yeah see th- th- this is what's happening right now because that investment whatever x amount that is being deployed for captive capacity that could have been used for more productive purposes that could have just came back into the economy hmm. so that is why increasing tariffs is uh, i would say has a negative economic externality and that's why we should look at how externalities work rather than just fixating about a dollar number which by the way we have been doing in the case of current account deficit for the last 2 years now it's like the only number that matters in this country or any country in the world is current account deficit it's just a, a fixated on that it's celebrated across social media and mainstream media with across every across the board and you know? it's, it's like current account deficit is like I don't know. I would not like to use that word right now. So yeah, and how do we resolve this? Well, you know what? We need to understand the value chain here. The report actually does a pretty good job of explaining the circular debt value chain and how the same can be resolved. There are structural issues. Your distribution companies are a big component of that. no political government in the last i don't know how many years has been able to resolve issues of distribution companies the last distribution company that was privatized was k electric or kesc as it was known back then and after that none of them have been either reformed or they have been privatized so they continue to post significant losses why because they're inefficient it's as simple as that similarly the last government did a lot of investment in power generation props to that but they totally ignored transmission and distribution for every 100 units of electricity that is dispatched from a power plant 80 units are simply lost because of the inefficient distribution and transmission network now again these are no low hanging fruits these are structural issues these are that need to be fixed somehow no steps have been taken in the last 2 years to fix any of these structural issues increasing tariffs is a low hanging fruit fine you increase tariffs to 20 you increase tariffs to 50 rupees per unit no one's going to consume any electricity i'm sitting in an air conditioner right now i'll just stop using an air conditioner people are not going to consume it so someone somewhere needs to explain to someone in power how price elasticity of demand works It's as simple as that. Hmm. Yeah. Again, so how do so, we resolve you know, the final... j- 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 just a minute, uh, Ozan? How do we resolve circular yeah, debt? You, 
figure out what to do with the distribution companies. Now, they're very, very difficult. That, that's a tough nut to crack because you've got unions, you've got legacy portfolios, so on and so forth. Government is the largest, I would say, defaulter of bills. There's just a lot of receivables from various ministries and from various government agencies and they're never paid. So how about settling those as well? And one more thing that, that, that can be done right now, oil prices are at maybe a 30-year low right now and a petrol is still at around 100 rupees a liter. I'm not going to be that guy who says petrol should be at like 20 rupees a liter or 30 rupees a liter. No, <laughs> we should ensure that the petrol stays fixed as sweet spot of 100 rupees per liter. Why? Because all commodity prices, everything has already adjusted to a 100 rupee price. You know, if you're going to reduce price of petrol, no one is going to reduce price of their goods. Again, it's mm-hmm. they're, they're downward sticky. They're not going to do that. So what do you do? You impose additional petroleum levy. Now, this is behind the scene mechanics. Let's say your cost is right now. You're selling for 100 rupees per liter and your cost is around 50 rupees. You're already charging significant tax right now. Add in another tax, which is solely for retirement of circular debt. And that can slowly and steadily gradually reduce the stock of circular debt that exists. This has also been recommended by the report. And there are of other number of recommendations as well that current stock of debt can be moved as either a refinancing facility or as public debt. Multiple options there. It's all about whether the political will is there or not to resolve this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and political will, um, just in terms of where we are in Pakistan and the environment, I don't know how the even the budget session is going to go, but that's going to be a tough ask to get the political will to do these structural reforms which are needed across the board. And I, I want to conclude uh, with that question is, um, you know, looking at the power sector and the energy sector, if you were uh, to be advising the prime minister on a couple of things that he should prioritize in terms of structural reforms, uh, particularly in the power in the power sector in particular, um, what would those be uh, from your point of view? Well, transmission and distribution, that's like should be primary. We have solved the capacity issue right now we have enough capacity having surplus capacity is not a bad thing whoever says surplus capacity is a bad thing needs to be sent back to 2005 or 95 where there's like six hours of load shedding like straight away you know, just send them back there just get time machine and send them the way you've got like eight hours of load shedding and then they can crib about oh there's not enough power there you know so some people are just never happy we don't have a capacity issue right now we have a transmission and distribution issue that needs to be fixed. That needs to be fixed. ASAP. Distribution is a purely reform slash structural issue. That needs to be fixed through reformation of all distribution companies out there. Transmission is a pure capacity and investment issue. That is a lot is already being done, but more needs to be done there. More needs to be done on a distribution company level. And more importantly, fix circular debt. How that can be fixed? Well, we have addressed it earlier as well. So again, there are multiple moving parts here. It's not an easy job, but something has to be done. And that's pretty much about it. We have one of the highest, uh, I would say, electricity tariffs in the world. They need to be brought down. 
And how will that be brought down? We've discussed that earlier. You need to go back to IPPs, start renegotiating. A number of these steps happening simultaneously, happening concurrently, we may be able to resolve the issue that plagues our power sector right now. And I would say we were still in a better position in terms of power than maybe we were 10 years ago. So not all is lost. It just needs some right management, some sound governance and reforms. And I think that's what the government is all about, right? Yeah, I think these reforms are needed. I think it's so critical to Pakistan's economy, right? Because power goes into everything you manufacture. And as you talked about earlier, like by raising tariffs or continuously raising tariffs, you make Pakistan's industry uncompetitive compared to everyone else, particularly direct competitors like Bangladesh, Vietnam, India, etc. And if Pakistan has to solve this challenge of chronically low, low economic growth, uh, chronic uh, balance of payments issues, um, then it has to export more and to export more it first has to become competitive um, and that again coming back to our initial point is not possible uh, without an efficient power sector that provides power uh, consistently and at competitive prices when compared to the rest of the world so I think this was a great discussion I just really just one more thing I'm, I'm sorry I'm very, sorry I'm taking yeah, time ahead. just one more thing you said competitive I totally forgot about the we need competitive electricity markets we should have had that yesterday. You need more players in power generation. You need more power buyers. You need more power sellers. You need to bring all the renewable capacity that exists at household level to the grid. We basically need to have a free market for electricity. Right now, we just have one buyer. We need to have thousands of buyers right now. Mm. You need to bring in competition. You need to bring in multiple providers of electricity. You need to bring in multiple buyers of electricity. Eventually, your cost is going to go down because free markets. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that is a very important point. The more regulated markets there are, and we've I've talked to people about the agricultural sector and the sugar and agricultural reports, and that was the same thing there was that you have two markets, one created by the government and one for everyone else, and that creates distortions. And the power sector is similar in nature where having one buyer creates all sorts of distortions in the market and, and stifles competition, um, which again, going back, if you don't solve for this, then there is no way Pakistan's economy will be competitive compared to other economies. And guess what? With this crisis, it's an opportunity to reform and others will be reforming. So if Pakistan misses that opportunity, it will fall farther behind on the competitiveness curve uh, compared to its peer economic group. So Amar, thank you so much for taking out the time. I know it's late in the night for you. Um, I hope you and the family are safe and sound mm -hmm. and uh, really appreciate you taking us along on this journey with the power sector and explaining to us what, uh, how it works and what are the key components and points made in the power sector report. So really appreciate that. You're welcome, Ajay. Thank you for having me on there. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Pakistanomy. Hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you like this podcast, please do subscribe to it using your favorite podcast app and do share it with your friends and family as well as on your social media. Hope you tune in next time.